You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our text this morning is 1 Samuel 17. But before we turn there, we will read a related passage in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 6. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Our text this morning is 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sacco in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Demim between Sacco and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves. A bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Goliath and Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man. And have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who is from Bethlehem and Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. 
Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him asking, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come here? Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done? said David. Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, 
and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sha'ariam road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he, he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, As surely as you live, O king, I don't know. The king said, Find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? David asked him. Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what a story. If there's even one story that unbelievers know from the Bible, it's a story of David and Goliath. This is a classic. Readers are held spellbound from beginning to end. But you know, if we're going to leave church this morning just saying, what a story, we've missed the whole point. Quite the guy. Actually, David was only a teenager at the time. 
Yet he had the manly courage to challenge the most fierce and intimidating Philistine soldier with only sling and a stone. What a courageous young man he was. But again, if we're going to leave church this morning saying little more than quite a guy, we've also missed the point. What a God! That's what this story is all about. The greatness and glory of Yahweh, the God of Israel, is what inspired David to do what he did. It's what enabled him to do what he did. The greatness and glory of Yahweh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is what we should be thinking about and talking about today and always. Before we dive into the story, however, let's talk a little bit about the context. Saul had proven to be an unfit king for God's people. He had been playing a game of pick and choose with God's prophet Samuel and with God Himself. He thought that he had the right as king to pick and choose which words of God to listen to and which words to ignore. Let me give you one example from 1 Samuel 15. When Samuel had given Saul the message from the Lord that he had to totally destroy the Amalekites, not even sparing their animals, what did Saul do instead? Well, he defeated the Amalekites, but then he spared their king, Agag, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. We read in 1 Samuel 15, verse 9. As a result, the Spirit of the Lord, we're told, departed from King Saul, and God anointed David as king in his place. Now, this is a pattern that we see happening throughout human history. When Adam falls, God raises up another Adam. This pattern is found on a smaller scale throughout Scripture. Here in 1 Samuel, King Saul falls, and God raises up a better king to replace him. In his encounter with Goliath, David shows that he is more fit to be king than Saul is. Now, who is this Goliath fellow? Well, one thing is certain. That is that he's, he's a serpent. He's a snake. Once again, there is a serpent in the garden. To demonstrate this, I'd like to remind you of what the Spirit tells us in 1 Samuel 11. A parallel story about Saul's encounter with another serpent. There in 1 Samuel 11, we're told about Saul's first encounter as king with an enemy of Israel right after God had made him king. Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, had come up and besieged the Israelite city of Jabesh-Gilead. Nahash 
means serpent. In fact, it's the same word that's used for the serpent in the Garden of Eden. The first enemy that Saul faced off with, you see, was a serpent by name. Nahash the Ammonite. Serpent, Ammonite. The first enemy that David now faces off with is also a serpent, perhaps not in name, but certainly in every other respect. How can I say this? Well, notice that Goliath is dressed like a serpent. We're told in verse 5 that he wore a coat of scale armor. Now, in the Hebrew, all it says is that he wore scales. Like a snake. That phrasing brings out his resemblance with a serpent even stronger. A serpent has skin made of scales. Goliath dresses himself like a serpent. He acts like the serpent in the Garden of Eden, and God is going to deal with him as he dealt with that serpent. Notice the detail that is provided about Goliath in verses 4 through 7. The stage is being set for a dramatic showdown. Goliath there is called a champion. He's a first-class, fully decorated Philistine soldier. No one dared challenge Goliath. He's also identified as being from Gath. That explains his height. He's over nine feet tall. Do you remember remember the Nephilim, the, the Anakites? The giants in the land of Canaan that caused the people of Israel to cower, making them afraid to enter the land. We read about that in Numbers 13. Well, it's likely that Goliath was a descendant of these giants who had relocated to Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod, as we read in Joshua 11. In fact, the way it's recorded in Joshua 11, the implication is that Joshua had succeeded in conquering the Nephilim giants and only a small number had survived. Notice the detail here, not only of who Goliath is, his impressive pedigree and appearance, but also the detailed description of his armor. We're given a a head-to-toe description of all his armor and weaponry. Look what we read in the verses 5-7. through He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of skill armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. 5,000 shekels is 125 pounds. That was the weight of his coat of skill armor. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. 600 shekels, that's 16 pounds. 
just the, the point of the spear. 16 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. By all appearances, Goliath, the champion, will remain the champion. And David doesn't stand a chance. By all appearances. But let's not forget what the Spirit has told us previously in chapter 16. Remember what God had said to Samuel when he guessed that the tall and handsome Eliab was going to be the next king based on his appearance. For Samuel 16, verse 7, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at his heart. You see, brothers and sisters, this also applies to our enemies. God is not impressed. He is not intimidated. And He is not swayed by outward appearance and display. And we shouldn't be either. What God saw in David was virtue. He saw a heart that was close to his God. Goliath not only looked intimidating, he had a mouth to match. Remember what we read in verse 8-10, through 10, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man. Have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. If I overcome him and kill him, you will come and be our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. The manner in which Saul and all the Israelites reacted to Goliath is very telling indeed. Verse 11, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. They reacted in just the same way that the Israelites did after the initial exploration of the land of Canaan when these giants were discovered. They were intimidated and filled with fear. They were shaking in their boots. Now isn't this remarkable? King Saul no longer trembled at the voice of God. When God told Saul through Samuel that he had to completely destroy the Amalekites, not even sparing their king or their best animals, Saul did not tremble in his boots at God's Word. He just ignored God. But King Saul did tremble in his boots at the voice of this Philistine big mouth. Before whose voice do you tremble? 
at the voice of God or at the voice of your loud-mouthed enemies? Now, this went on for 40 days, we're told in verse 16. 40 days. This reminds us of the 40 years of Israel's wandering in the desert. The 40 days of Goliath's taunting also makes us think of the 40 days of temptation which our Lord Jesus would later face at the beginning of His ministry. And notice what verse 16 says. Goliath came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Every morning and evening. What the, what were the Israelites doing morning and evening? Well, precisely at the time of the morning and evening sacrifices when the ranks of Israel were supposed to be worshiping and calling upon Almighty God, Goliath would defy the ranks of Israel. Time of the morning and evening sacrifices. The very time when the ranks of Israel were supposed to be resting and worshiping in the presence of their God, they were trembling in the presence of their enemy. Now, like I mentioned earlier, David was very young. The fact that David was sent by his father Jesse to the battle lines to bring some food and also to see how his boys were doing indicates that David was not yet part of the army. He was too young to be drafted for army service. You could not enter the army until you were 20. Calculations put David's age at 17. David was still a teenager. There's something else we should notice here. Notice that just as the last time David was sent by his father Saul, just as the last time David was sent by his father to Saul, when he was taken into Saul's service to play the harp, so now David comes loaded down with food. This isn't just a minor detail. You see, David is being prepared here to become a shepherd, not merely of his own sheep, but of God's sheep. We can hardly help seeing here a preview of what Jesse's greater son, Jesus, will do when He comes. He too will bring food and drink along with Him. In fact, He Himself will be the food and drink, the bread of eternal life. David is a bread provider who is getting God's people ready for the real bread provider, Jesus Christ. The bread that will come down from heaven and give life to the world. With the arrival of David, there is the arrival of the hope of life and blessing. In spite of this, David still has to endure the insults and jabbings of his oldest brother Eliab. Just as Joseph did when he brought food to his brothers. Eliab treats David as if he's just a, a cocky, 
conceited teenager who's just come for the show. Apparently David was used to the verbal thrashings of his elder brother. Now what have I done? Said David. Can't I even speak? And isn't this precisely how the Lord Jesus was treated when He was sent by His Father with the bread of heaven? He was made to feel like a conceited, wicked troublemaker. He came to earth to provide His brothers with nourishment, but all He got in return from most of them was a verbal thrashing and dressing down and ultimately crucifixion. Talk about biting the hand that feeds you. Well, all this didn't sway David from his determination to do something about this monster, the serpent named Goliath. All Saul and Israel saw was an invincible foe. All David sees is a wicked beast. For notice how David responds to Saul. Saul says to him in verse 33, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. What are you thinking, David? David responds by pointing out to Saul that Goliath is hes really no different from the other beasts that he's killed as a shepherd. Your servant, he says in verse 34, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off his sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Sure, Goliath has a lot of experience. But David has some experience too. Killing beasts. And that's exactly what Goliath is. He's a beast who needs to be slain. Notice how David puts it in the verses 36 and 37. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Notice too that David recognizes that whether he is fighting a man or a beast, it is the Lord who gives him strength and delivers him. David realizes that it's not his own heroism that will guarantee his success, but it's God's mighty hand of deliverance. You see how already in his youth, in his teenage years, David was placing his trust in the arm of the Lord. He realized that his strength came from the Lord. He realized that every sheep he had saved and every beast that he had killed was evidence of God's Strength. Now that's the sort of faith that we have to nurture in our children and in our teenagers. Complete and unqualified trust in God. 
The confidence that we need to instill in our children and young people is a confidence not in themselves, but in their God. Children. Teenagers. Young people. Do you want some training in confidence? Turn to the Psalms which the Holy Spirit put into David's mouth. Learn with David to put your trust and confidence in God alone. Both in your achievements and in your struggles and failures. Notice that Saul tried to dress David in his own armor. When Saul does that, he shows how much like Goliath he is himself. Goliath relies on his own impressive armor and weapons for victory. And so does Saul. Saul believes that in order to be successful, he has to be like other kings. Not David. David doesn't need Saul's armor and weapons. In fact, they will be his demise. They'll just get in the way. Rather, David goes out like a shepherd. He already, David is showing what kind of king he's going to be. Not a king like the other nations had as Saul was trying to be. He's going to be a king after God's own heart. He's going to be a shepherd king. And notice that David even takes his shepherd's staff with him. Some have suggested that David was taking this as a decoy to make Goliath think that he was planning to attack him with his staff. While there may be something to this, everything in the description of David's preparation for the fight indicates that he wants Goliath and everyone else to see that he is going to battle as a shepherd. He carries a shepherd's staff. He puts the stones in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And he carries his shepherd's sling. He's ready to slay the beast that is threatening God's flock. Thus equipped, David goes out to meet his snarling opponent. Goliath carries on with his big talk. Verses 43 and 44. Am I a dog that you come, out at, that you come at me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. While Goliath boasts of his own strength, David boasts in the Lord. All his confidence lies in the Lord and in Him alone. David is certain of his victory not because he's good with a sling and a stone, but because he's zealous for the name of the Lord. Obviously, the Spirit of the Lord had come upon him with power. David is eager to bring Goliath down not so that he himself will become famous as a great war hero and be known as a world champion fighter, 
Rather, he's eager that the whole world will know about the God of Israel. How different in this respect David was from Saul. You know, whenever we see Saul from now on in the narrative, he always has a spear with him. That was a clear indication that he didn't get it. He didn't understand, like David, that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves. With that, David approached the Philistine. He approached the snake, slung a stone, and struck Goliath on the forehead. Verse 49, the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. The same fate overcame the Philistine hero Goliath as had overcome his Philistine god, Dagon. Do you remember that story from 1 Samuel 5? When the ark arrived in Ashdod and was placed in the temple of Dagon. And remember what happened to Dagon? He fell face down before the ark of the Lord. Thump. God was making clear to the Philistines that He alone is God and no other. Remember what Psalm 115 says, those who make idols will be like them and so will all who trust in them. From that perspective, Goliath's demise was entirely predictable. Goliath's God falls face down and so does Goliath. And David's choice of a stone as a weapon is surely no accident either. Goliath had committed a capital offense. He had spoken blasphemy against the God of Israel. And you know what the punishment for that was in the Scriptures? Stoning. Goliath got his just reward. As we noted though, those who make idols will be like them and Goliath became like Dagon the Philistine God in another respect. Not only did he, he fall face down to the ground like Dagon. Remember what happened to Dagon the second night? He fell face down again after the Philistines had hoisted him back up. He fell face down again And this time, his head and his hands came off. Just like Dagon with his hands cut off, Goliath too is rendered totally powerless. His big hands and arms do him no good. It's like they've fallen off. And now also, just like Dagon, he is beheaded by David. David cuts off his head. Goliath lived like a serpent. He dressed like a serpent. He fought like a serpent. And he died like a serpent with a head wound 
with a crushed head. David's victory over Goliath formed the beachhead for the complete rout of the Philistine army by the Israelites, leaving their dead strewn along the road to to their cities to which they were fleeing. We're told in verse 54 that David took the Philistines' head to Jerusalem. There's something prophetic in this action of David. For there in Jerusalem, at the place of the skull, Jesus Christ would one day deal the final death blow, the final head wound to the great serpent, the devil, when he died on the cross. And what did David do with the Philistines' weapons? Well, he brought them to his own tent. Why did he do that? Did he do that so that he could show off his victory as a trophy of his own prowess and success? Not at all. For we're told in chapter 21 that David had them sent to the house of the Lord. David had said that the victory was the Lord's and he meant it. He also wanted God to receive the spoils of the battle, the trophy of the victory, since Yahweh Himself was the true victor here. Wherever and whenever this story would be repeated, David wanted people to say, what a God! Brothers and sisters, we still have enemies to deal with too, just as the Israelites still faced the entire Philistine army Goliath after Goliath was toppled. The beast has already been slain. All that's left for us to do is is watch the enemy run as God delivers us. Let us remember that we do not live by the world's standards and that we do not lift up men, people, as heroes. We don't say about John Huss, John Calvin and Martin Luther, the great reformers, what men? We see what they were enabled to do. We say, what a God Though we live in the world, we also don't wage war as the world does. God is our strength. Therefore, we shall not be afraid. He is our salvation. Therefore, we shall be confident. All glory be to God alone. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.